So Paul has been, first three chapters, actually the first four, he's trying to wrangle these guys back. Um, They are deserting him. They're aligning with some other leaders. It's not the fault of any of these other leaders, but there's some guys in the church in Corinth who are saying, we like this guy better, we like this guy better. Paul, he, you know, he, he, he doesn't speak very well. He's kind of sticking with the basics. We're looking for more, better, deeper, all of that. They're kind of super spiritual. They have this kind of a superiority complex, and Paul is trying to bring them back. This chapter, the whole thing is a warning. It's a, I don't want to be overly heavy here, but this is kind of a heavy chapter. He's, he's hitting them pretty hard on some things, saying if y'all continue to move in this, in this direction, there's some pretty serious consequences. So I want to get into that. Again, without us feeling overly heavy or guilty about that, but letting the Bible uh, speak here. So starting in verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, that is, as believers, as Christians, as people who've who've received the Holy Spirit, but as worldly. Now that word worldly better would be fleshly, that is, people who've received the Holy Spirit who are Christians but are living as if they hadn't. So it's Christians who aren't living like it, people who've received the Holy Spirit, but he has not had any effect upon their life remember we said last last week paul's not creating classes of christians here but as worldly merely infants or babies in christ i gave you milk that is that that's basics elementary teaching christ crucified not solid food for you are not yet ready for it indeed you're still not ready you're still worldly that is you're still living as if you haven't digested the first thing i told you about for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? The answer is yes. Are you not acting like mere men? Are you not acting like natural people, people who have not received the Holy Spirit? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Again, the answer there is yes. So what's going on here is there's three categories of people for Paul. There's natural people. That's, uh, you can look at that in 2.14, or people without the Holy Spirit. That's people who are not Christians, not believers, haven't said yes to Jesus. Then there are worldly or fleshly people. Those are Christians who just aren't living like it. All Christians have received the Holy Spirit, but they're these guys in Corinth who have, but he has not affected the way they're living at this point. He's not impacted their behavior. They're living as if they don't have the Spirit. And then there's the spiritual, and those are what we would call mature Christians. So those are kind of these groups. Again, he's not creating first-class and second-class Christians, Christians who have the Spirit and Christians who don't. You can't be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. So that's not the distinction he's making. The distinction he's making is between people who are walking in the Spirit and people who aren't. So that's the distinction that's happening there. What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. There's that idea we have a role, our deal, this assignment to play. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. He's referring there to the church. Paul was the first one in, shared the gospel with them. Then Apollos comes along later and teaches them. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and that one purpose is to get this thing growing, and each will will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. He changes pictures there towards the end. So the, the big distinction appears to be between Paul and this guy Apollos. You can read about Apollos in Acts 18. He's a great guy. Everything that's going on here, from everything we know, he's not a part of. People are kind of carrying his flag, but he's not a part of that. He's gone at this point. 
The distinction seems to be with how good a speaker they are. This is what uh, we read about Apollos in Acts 18.24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, or a better translation is an eloquent man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Remember, we looked in verse, in chapter 1, Paul says, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, basically saying, I'm not that great a speaker. And apparently what's going on is these guys in Corinth have decided they just like Apollos better because he sounds better. Nothing with him. He's just, he's more eloquent. He's more polished. He's more refined. And so they're identifying with him and they're disrespecting Paul. But it's not just Paul. They're taking this message also, this message that he took, Christ crucified. And they're saying, that's just baby stuff. That's milk. We're ready to move on to these deeper things. We looked at that last week. They want this deeper revelation of who God is. And they're going about getting it in some um, ways that are not good. And so Paul says, you guys are babies. That is, you're not acting age appropriate. You're being immature. We've got all of this strife going on. You haven't digested the first thing. You haven't digested the milk I gave you. It's not impacting you yet. You're not ready for anything else. And beyond that, why are you picking sides? I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. We, we each had a job to do that God assigned to us. We did our job. Why don't you rather align yourself with God who actually makes the thing grow? Hook up with the one who actually does something. What we've done is it's nothing. We're, we're, we're fellow workers. A better word, We're slaves of God. He tells us what to do and we do it. You need to align yourself with him. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. A master builder was responsible for plans and for construction. So Paul is saying, I laid the foundation, that's Christ crucified, and because I laid the foundation and am the expert builder, the master builder, I have a say-so in what's going to go on top of that foundation. Whatever structure is being erected, I've got something to say about that because I'm the one that laid the foundation. Someone else is building on it, that's these other leaders, but each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, we've mentioned that. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, your Bible probably has that capitalized, it's referring to judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So what's going on here, now Paul is, again, it's, He's getting on the leaders at this point. He's been talking about the church. Y'all are immature. You're babies. You're acting like you haven't even been saved at this point with all of the strife that's happening. Y'all, he's on them. Then he moves to the leaders and says, and for y'all, I laid a foundation and y'all are building something on top of it that's not good. Judgment day, fire, everything is going to be tested. And if what y'all are building is not built with gold, silver, or costly stones, that is stuff that can pass through the fire, it's all going to be burned up. You're going to be saved, barely. You're going to be saved, but everything that you've worked for and built, it's not going to make it. It's all temporary. It's all going to burn. There's a thread through the New Testament that we will be rewarded for our works. Now, for some of us, that's a big no-no. We're saved by grace alone, and that starts sounding like works-based salvation and merit and our own righteousness. Not what's going on here. Very clearly, we're saved by grace alone. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. We receive it. Don't earn it. All of that. 100% true. And again, throughout the New Testament, you see it from Jesus all the way through. There is this truth 
that we will be rewarded for what we did. Obedience matters. Faithfulness matters. What you do after you say yes to Jesus matters. Otherwise, you just probably get zapped up to heaven if that was it. But there's something to be said for your life from conversion until death. The parable of the talents, it's a picture of that. God's given us stuff to use, and he wants to know, well, what are you going to do with it? And the guys that do well with what they've been given, they're rewarded. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You can read in Revelation, I think it's 20, the judgment seat of Christ. And you see a picture there of these books that are opened up. And in the books, it's what we've done. And there's also a book of life. And thankfully, if you're a believer, your name is written in the book of life. But there's also this book with what you've done. And both of those things seem to come in play. I have no idea what the rewards are. Some people talk about crowns, whatever, houses. I don't know. You're, you're going to get something. I don't know what it is. And it's based on your obedience and faithfulness to what God is calling you to now. So that's in there. If that's a struggle for you, we can talk about that later. I'm not talking about earning your salvation, but these rewards that you get for obedience after you uh, said yes to Jesus. Now he ups the ante. Don't you know that you yourselves, that is you corporately, y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. God's spirit dwells here among this people. If anyone destroys God's temple, that is God's people, God will destroy him. For God's temple, his people are sacred, and you are that temple. So he's gone from saying, all right, you leaders, you're still going to be saved. You're going to smell like smoke, but you're still in. You're still on the team. You're still in the club. Everything that you've built, it's all going to burn. Now he takes it one step further and says, "You're going if you destroy God's people, if you destroy this body of Christ, you're going to be destroyed. That word destroyed is used in Peter and in Jude, for the fate of false teachers, and is not good. So there is some line there. So if we have this continuum, there's some point that only God knows in his wisdom and mercy where you've crossed the line from, yes, I'm on the team, to no, I'm not on the team anymore. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's warning these leaders of. They're, these, they're wreaking havoc on the church. Personally, they're still okay there's there could very well come a point where they're not personally okay anymore what they're doing is so wicked they're so destroying the body of christ which is brutal in god's eyes huge issue for him he dwells among his people you're destroying this temple these people among whom he dwells what you're doing is so heinous at some point you're out you've you've rejected jesus you turned your back on and you're done and again i don't know where that line is that's his thing not for us to try to point peg people and say you know some of you grew up in churches where backsliding was a big deal and you're trying to find how far you can backslide and still be on the slide before you're what i don't know that's that's what he's talking about in some senses but he doesn't tell you where the line is my thing would be if you care you're probably still okay um once you stop caring then that's an issue so that's what he's talking about there. Don't deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. 
so that no more boasting about men, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's another name for Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you're of Christ, and Christ is of God. So what he's just closing, trying to close on kind of a positive note here, saying, guys, don't settle for a part when you can have the whole. Everything is yours in Jesus. So don't take just me, and don't take just Apollos, and don't take just Peter. You take all of us. You have everything. Everything has been given to you in Christ. So grab on to all of it. Stop being wise according to the standards of this world. Start being wise according to the standards of God and grab on to everything. You don't have to pick sides. All of this can be held together. So, for us, a couple of things. One, you may say, well, I'm not really a leader in the church, so a lot of that stuff doesn't apply. Not true. Uh, I think it goes across the board for us. Just a couple of things for you to pull away. One, you are what you eat. You get that. You've heard that since you were in the first grade. And that's what he's saying to these guys. Y'all are wanting solid food. You want this deeper, quote, unquote, teaching. You haven't digested the milk, the basic teaching I gave you, which is Christ crucified. If you had, you wouldn't be acting the way you're acting. There's an expectation in the Bible that we will grow. It's okay to be a baby when you're a baby. It's not okay to be a baby when you've been doing this for seven or eight or nine or ten years. Grow up. And it's not okay to be, you know, a child when you've been doing this for 13 or 14 or 15 or whatever it is. There's an, there's an expectation that we're going to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. It's not a, an intellectual knowledge and understanding. That's a component. It's relational. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you know me. So the expectation is that we're going to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him from a relational, experiential perspective. Again, it's, we're all babies when we say yes. The deal is how long are we going to be babies? How long are we going to be children? At what point are we going to grow up? What God is looking for, again, is to conform us into the image of Jesus. That is, he wants us to be mature sons and daughters of his. Just like those of you who are parents, that's what you want for your children. You don't want them when they're 25 or 28 or 32 having to call you three and four and five and ten times a day because they don't know how to live life, because they can't balance their checkbook, because they don't know when to change the oil, because that, you don't, at some point, if you're a parent and you've done your job, they can live. You still obviously want them relationally connected. You're looking for mature children, and God is looking for the same thing. Not that we at some point don't need him anymore and live independent of him, but that we're mature sons and daughters. We're not still babies. This is Hebrews 5. This actually, I'm going to stop right before it bleeds into this whole thing about whether you can lose your salvation. We'll avoid that for today. What we'll say today, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. Again, there's that expectation. You've known this long enough that you should have matured. You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Again, milk is fine for babies. At some point, though, we've got to grow, we've got to grow up. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Those by, by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Again, you have this idea. It's not just getting more intellectual content who've trained themselves by their life, by putting into practice the things that they've learned. That's what he's criticizing the Corinthians for. They knew everything. He says later, 
knowledge uh, puffs up, but love builds up. Their issue is not lack of knowledge. It's lack of uh, behavior. It's, it's a lack of working out the things that they know. It's a lack of application, not a lack of information. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, uh, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. And then he moves on and starts talking about kind of what happens for people who've tasted some of this and then walked away. Kind of the warning there is grow up. You are what you eat. So what are you eating spiritually? What's your spiritual diet? Is it still just milk? Have you moved on? You've been doing this for a while. I was thinking the other day, I'm 36, but I've been a Christian for 24 years. I became a Christian when I was 12. Like I, hopefully, I've learned something in 24 years. God has expectations for me. If he says to me, listen, you're still, come on. We should be past these things by now. You've been doing this long enough. And he may say, be saying the same thing to you. It's not pressure. It's not say it's not you're gonna you gotta repeat fourth grade because you didn't know your multiplication tables. It's I want you to know me better. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about knowing me better. You're not knowing me better. You're not getting to know you're you're staying stagnant in our relationship. Some of you have been in relationships like that where you said, Listen, get in or get out. We're not gonna keep walking around the mountain again. You're with me or you're not. Put the ring on my finger or cut me loose. Some of you have been in those relationships where you you can't stay stagnant. It's got to grow or it's going to die. And that's where I think where God's heart is in this. It's not you guys are dumb or you're immature. It's come on. Let's get to know each other better. Come closer. Let's go deeper in terms of knowing one another. And how do you do that? easiest to me way is you read the bible some of you rather have a root canal i know it's hard but you have to some of you read the bible once a week and it's when it's up there on the screen some of you don't even read it then you look down there's got to be some way that you regularly read the bible and i'll let you define regular i won't i won't put that on you you define what it is to regularly read the bible and start doing it if you if you don't read so well then listen to it Download it. Have your wife read it to you before you go to bed. That's fine. It'll put you to sleep, and you can mark it off the list. You, something. Cut up Proverbs. You know, all these little sayings. Roll them up, put them in a fortune cookie. Eat a fortune cookie every day, then you get a proverb. Figure out some way of getting it. I'm not playing. Figure out some way of getting it into you. If you've got to act it out, then act it out. Just do something. It's not, I don't mean this heavy. It's to say, I just can't get into it. Or I don't really like to read. And I don't think that's going to work with him. It's not. This is the primary vehicle for knowing him. And so we've got to figure out how to get into it. On that little outline sheet I gave you, there are a couple of links. You can look at them. They're reading plans. If that helps you, then do it. If it doesn't, then don't. I don't care how much you read or how little. I don't care what version you use. I don't care if you go historically or chronologically. I don't care if you just open it up every day and point your finger somewhere. 
just start reading. And you have to read kind of, I'd say, in the Spirit. Word without the Spirit is dry and dusty. Remember last week, it's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit who knows the deep things of God, God's character, His attributes, His plans, and His purposes. So when you open to read, you need to ask, God, help me. Speak to me through this. 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000, depending on where you're reading, book written by some Jewish guy in the Middle East. Help me. Somehow meet me in the midst of this. Open my ears, open my eyes, open my heart so that I can understand what this has to do with me in Marietta in 2011. Spirit without the word is fluff. You got nothing there. 2 Timothy 3, how much, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Otherwise, all you got, it's, it's missed. Some of us are really spiritual. And we pray and we can sing and we, God speaks to us through billboards and all kinds of things, which is wonderful. Grab onto that. If it doesn't conform to the word, it's, it's not him. And the only way to know if it conforms to the word is to know the word. And the only way I know to know it is to read it. You've got to get it into us, and it becomes this standard that we measure things by. Again, it's not enough just to have spiritual experiences. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. You all have more spiritual experiences than you know what to do with. It's not affecting the way you live. You've abandoned this basic gospel message of Christ crucified. Some of you struggle uh, praying for others. You say, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to pray. One of the best things you can do is read the Bible. Then you can pray that stuff. it, it, It works. This is who God is. This is how he works. This is what he cares about. You're standing on solid ground when you're asking him to do the things that he's already said he wants to do. So Learn those things. Again, figure out some way in your routine to get the word into you. I'm not, I'm not talking about Bible study. I would want to make a, a distinction between that. That's good. Bible study is good, but it can tend to stay up here. I'm talking about you personally reading this, getting it on your own, so that you, you, your, God is speaking to you directly through the word, not through Beth Moore, not through K. Arthur, not through your small group leader, not through me, none of that. That's all good, but that's over here. We all need to b- begin to develop this one-to-one relationship. You don't need an intermediary anymore. The same Holy Spirit that lives in Beth Moore lives in you, and you can, you can get this. She's gifted as a teacher. Same Holy Spirit can guide you into truth. Example. So, uh... I've been reading this chronological Bible. It kind of puts the Bible in chronological order. You're supposed to read it in a year. We're n- I'm not going to make it. I'm in a group with a couple of guys. We're not going to make it through in a year, which is fine. But uh, one of the things that was interesting for me, I'm flipping to First Sam- or to Second Samuel. I've actually taught this, thought this all for years. So David and Bathsheba, y'all have heard the story. He's a king. Um, Second Samuel 11 is where the story is. It begins with this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, and then David sent Joab, his commander, out. And then y'all know what happens after that. He's wandering around on the roof. He sees Bathsheba. He brings her over. They 
have an affair, she gets pregnant, he gets her husband killed. It's a wonderful story in the life of David. What you have and what I've taught is he was in the wrong place. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. In the spring when kings go off to war. Well, he was a king. He had not gone off to war. So kind of the word for us is you've got to be where you're supposed to be. In this chronological Bible, it puts 2 Samuel 21 before 2 Samuel 11. It says this. So David is fighting with his men. He gets exhausted. He's about to be killed. And someone, a guy named Abishai, one of his uh, 30 mighty men, has to come to his rescue and really saves the day. And they say, all of his men, that says, David's men swore to him saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. It puts that section in front of David and Bathsheba. It says chronologically that's the way it happened. He had gotten older. He wasn't as quick as he used to be, wasn't as strong as he used to be. He just really wasn't that good on the battlefield. And his men said, please, don't come out anymore. Not in the, probably both. Just don't come out here anymore. You stay back. And everything we know of David, he never shied from a fight. Uh, God says, the reason I'm not going to let you build a house is cause you, for me is because you shed so much blood. He's not, he's David and Goliath, he's not a sissy. So there's no reason for us really to think that when it's time for war, he would just choose not to go. That's not his character that we've seen. But what if he's kind of been sworn to not go by his men? And it's not that he's in the, not in the right place at the right time. It's that he's bored. He's just bored. He's supposed to be fighting and he can't. And so that leads to all of this problem with Bathsheba. Now that gets me. I'm not a king and I don't have to go to war. But I get bored all the time. And so what does that mean for me in terms of temptation? What do I need to be on the lookout for? What happens to me when I'm bored? That's all just that's just from reading the Bible. That's I'm, nothing special. That's the kind of thing that you can expect when you get into it. The Lord will speak to you about those kinds of things. Make those connections. That day, I probably read, I don't know, five pages in my Bible, however many chapters this is, and I pulled that one thing out. That's it. One thing out of five pages. And sometimes that's all you get. Sometimes you feel like you don't get anything, but consistently staying in the Word, God will begin to speak to you. It will get into you. It will affect the way you pray. It will affect the way you live. It's important to do that. So, You are what you eat. Second thing, be careful how you build. Don't deceive yourself. If any of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, you should become a fool so that you may become wise. So there's this distinction between standards of this age and standards of the age to come, between God's wisdom and human wisdom. And what Paul is saying, again, is be careful what you're building, this house that you're building on the foundation. So you're a Christian. You said yes to following Jesus. You've got a great foundation. Just make sure whatever structure, whatever life you build on that foundation is consistent with that foundation. You're using materials that are appropriate. You're not using wood and hay and straw. All that's going to burn. None of that makes it. So make sure you've got this eternal foundation that you're building an eternal house on top of it. You're still going to be fine. You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. You're still receiving this gift of eternal life. But everything you've worked hard for and sacrificed for and planned for and built It's all gone. It's all going to burn. And whatever reward, it's gone too. You lose all of that stuff. Now there's however many of us, there are 120. There's 120 different ways for us of of grabbing onto this. It's difficult to think of 
practical ways of working this out because it's individual. It's where are you tempted, where am I tempted to build my life according to the principles of this world rather than according to the standards or the principles of the kingdom of God. And that's, again, a very personal, individual thing. We all have different areas of weakness. We all have different areas of frailty. And we just need to know ourselves well enough. Where am I falling down? I would say, in general, where we live in Cobb County, the temptation is to look out for yourself, to look out for number one, take care of yourself first, and then to look out. That's not said with any sense. I don't. I think often it's not even said really from a point perspective of selfishness. It's almost like this is just this is the wise thing to do. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is going to. You have to. I have to protect number one, and then I can. I'm in a position to serve and to love others. The there's a radical edge to following Jesus that says if you're going to save, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you, wanna, if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, then you'll find it or then you'll save it. That runs against this idea of protect yourself, look out for yourself first. I think most of the areas where we're tempted to build a life with wood, hay, and straw, we could probably fit under that umbrella of I was, I'm looking out for me. Again, I don't know that we consciously are saying selfish, me first, self-centered. I think where we live, we think, it, it seems like the, the prudent thing to do. Well, if I don't look out for me, then who's going to? In the body of Christ, it's your job. You're supposed to look out for me, and I'm supposed to look out for you. And God looks out for all of us. I shouldn't have to look out for myself if I'm in the body of Christ. But we see that break down all the time. And so, again, kind of fear slash practicality pulls us over here. Some ways, forgiveness. For some of us, we forgive people who deserve it. We don't forgive everyone who sins against us. That's a way of, that's building relationships with wood, hay, and straw. Jesus very clearly says, everyone who sins against you, they are to be forgiven. You might not need to be reconciled with everyone. There's a difference. That's a two-way street. But forgiveness is for everybody every time, not just those who ask for it or those who are really contrite or those who say they're sorry enough or in the right way. or none of, No, everybody every time money do you give what you have or do you give what you have left over it's a difference there in terms of how you build your house i was thinking about this with relationships for those of you who are in the dating engagement all of that world you're not married yet in our world it's try before you buy in god's world it's commitment first commitment always precedes intimacy every time your level of commitment to another always should uh, precede whatever level of intimacy you're asking for. There's no testing the waters. Is she going to say yes or is she going to say no? If I, None of that. Guys, you want to be leaders. It's what it looks like to lead. Go first in establishing a safe place for her to say yes or no. Well, what if I don't know if she's going to say yes or no? That's the point. You're giving her the safe place, and then you take the bullet one way or the other. If you have sons, I would encourage you, tell them they have to go first in commitment. They've got to be willing to put it out there. This is what I think. This is how I feel. This is where I see this thing is going. Are you with me or not? No flirting. No ask her what she thinks if I say that. No. You put it out there. Be a man. 
Put it out there. Let her say yes or no. You have daughters. You tell them any guy who's looking for intimacy beyond his level of commitment, turn and run. He's not looking out for her. He's looking out for, for himself, whatever that looks like, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever that looks like, your level of intimacy never outstrips your level of commitment. The commitment is what provides the security for the rest of that stuff to take place. That value system, that runs counter to where we live, where everything is tested beforehand and everything is tried beforehand and people sleep together before they say, I love you, and all of these different things. It's backwards. That's building with wood and hay and straw. and All of that stuff's going to burn. Build relationships according to his principles. Those things last. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know in what areas you're tempted to build your life or some, most likely some portion of your life according to the standards of this age. So I'm just going to ask the Lord, let's pray. I'm going to ask the Lord just to show us that. Maybe you're good. There might not be any. So let's do, we're going to do three things. Three separate little prayer points. One has really nothing to do with what we talked about. So we'll do that one first. This whole idea, when I was telling that story about David and Bathsheba, what do you do when you're bored? If I'm the devil and I want to tempt you when you're bored, what am I going to do? What am I going to throw your way? And maybe even a more important question is, are you bored right now? You can be really, really busy and still be totally bored. Boredom is about engaging your heart. Busy is about the number of things that you're doing. They're not the same. If you're bored this morning, I would submit you're in danger in some ways. So let's figure out where. Shore those things up. And let's ask the Lord to engage your heart again. So Lord, my prayer for any this morning, particularly the busy bored, running around like crazy, heart not engaged at all, that you would awaken our hearts, you would re-engage our hearts with you and with what you're doing in us and what you desire to do through us. If we're going to be busy, God, I pray it would be busyness towards producing fruit that will last, not just checking things off our list as much as that's possible. If you struggle getting into the Word, if you'd be willing to admit that, you don't regularly read and you get to define regular. Just ask the Lord, even now, say, God, you know, I don't do great at that, and I want to do better, so help me. Just help me. And God, my prayer for those in the room may be a huge source of guilt for them or shame, keeping them from stepping forward in leadership because they say, I've got this big kind of hole in my spiritual life. God, my prayer this morning is that you would stir each of our hearts, that we would recognize that we meet you in the word. It's not a textbook. There's no, there's no exams. It's not like that. It's different from any book we've ever read. God, that it would be living, it would be active, it would be alive to us. God, if there's practical techniques, you would speak those to us, give us wisdom for how to get into the Word. But God, I pray for discipline and for a desire to read. God, a desire to begin with and 
discipline for the days when we don't feel like it. That all of us would become men and women of the word. That God, out of this group, the next Beth Moore, Beth Moore Jr., sitting in this room, And God, for this whole idea of where we're building with, what are the materials? Are they appropriate to the house? Are they appropriate to the foundation? If there's any areas where they're not, I just pray you'd show us. It's relational, something related to work. We're just building a temporary house that's all going to burn. We want to know that. If God put something, something kind of came to your mind, repent. That's just acknowledging, hey, I'm doing the, I'm not doing that right, and I want to turn and walk in the other direction. So God, I repent that I've built whatever it is with the wrong stuff. And ask him for help. And I'm asking you to show me what does it look like specifically in this area of my life to build with gold and silver and costly stones? How do I parent that way? How do I relate to my spouse that way? How do I relate to my boss or my employees? How do I, my career, what does it look like to have a career that lasts beyond a paycheck? Show me practically what that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to clo- Anna Kate's going to close us with worship. We'll have ministry teams up front. You can come up here for prayer. We actually have a new um, architectural feature. We have a kneeler. We had somebody uh, built a kneeler for us. So if you want to come and kneel, you can do that here at this table on this um, thing that we have. So uh, y'all can stand.